Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back, friends, to this week's edition of Conversations with Z and Vin. Z, my man, always a pleasure to talk to you. And we've been talking today about the year-long day. So what do we mean by that? The idea is that there's certain things that we do in a day. Some maybe we don't think about. Some perhaps we do. Some we regret. But certain things that we do just on a daily basis reverberate through our entire life. They have consequences that we can't take back. And it's almost like everything changes in a moment. So our life is going along at a certain pace. Things are fine. And in a split second, everything can change, not just for that day, but for all of the years between now and the point at which we die. So it could be something as simple as road rage, as we were talking about. You get upset because someone cut you off. You flick them off. You start racing down the freeway on the 405. And suddenly you wrap your car in the median and you become a paraplegic. And that affects your entire life. Or you had an example of someone using drugs. Innocuous enough. Didn't give it much thought. Was out one night at a party. Decided to do some LSD. And never recovered from that. Never came back quite the same. So their entire life on a different course. The entire set of opportunities. Everything they could have accomplished. They weren't able to. They lived a life that was beneath what could have been, which sounds so tragic. And then we think about the interactions that we have with people day to day. How do we treat the people in our lives? The ones that we love, spouses, friends, children. In a moment, the way that we act with a child, what we say, the response we get, whether we reply with patience or we snap at them in anger, that can be something that they carry with them for a lifetime. That might be what they're talking to their therapist about 30 years from now, something that we don't even give any consideration to. So these moments, every single moment, every action we have has a set of consequences. That's the law of cause and effect. That's the karma that we learn about in Hinduism and Buddhism. And if we want to live productive lives, live without a lot of complication, we need to learn to master that law. And that requires a certain amount of attention to our actions and a certain amount of intelligence. And as you pointed out, Z, it doesn't mean that we never get into conflict or fights or we never get angry or never do anything. That's one extreme. We could say, okay, if we don't want any effect We can eradicate the cause. We can live a circumscribed life and try and interact as little as possible, never rock the boat. But that's not what we're talking about. That's not really a life. That's more of a living death. We're talking about living a full life, being passionate, experiencing the full richness of the time that we have. 
but doing so in a way where we are consciously aware of each of our choices at every moment in time. And yes, maybe we do things at a given point which are going to piss other people off, or we, we take risks and we know that there might be some blowback, but we're always choosing intelligently. And if we are able to look at the situation with full awareness, we can make those intelligent choices and cut out the things that don't serve any value. I think of it actually in financial terms. There are risks that we want to take and risks that we don't want to take. And so if I'm putting money to work and I'm investing in a company, yeah, I'm taking the risk that the company won't do that well. But because I take that risk, I also benefit if it does do well and I can make a lot more money over time. But I don't want to take the risk that the guy that I'm investing with, my advisor, runs off with all my money. So there are risks that we can mitigate versus risks that we consciously take. And perhaps that's a strategy that we can employ in life. So if we think about this concept of the year-long day, having that awareness, that constant attention to our thoughts and our decisions gives us the opportunity to live more productively. I mean, it's like we're sowing seeds today that are going to reap something beneficial in the future uh, versus doing things in anger or just in in unawareness, uh, not being attuned to the situation that come back to bite us in the ass. And we look back and we say, why did we do that? Why did I say that? What benefit did it provide? And sometimes we even know in the moment that we're making stupid decisions. How many times have you been in an argument where you know you're pushing the other person's buttons, you know you're saying things that are just going to escalate the situation, but you can't help it because you want to lash out and you want to hurt but if we're able to disentangle ourselves from that emotional state and step back, we might respond more intelligently. We might calm down. We might give it some space and look back and say, thank God we did. Thank God I didn't say those hurtful things to the person that I love, which I can't take back. And yes, I can get beyond it, but it takes a lot of effort and it creates a rupture or a fracture that I can never fully repair. It weakens the foundation of a relationship. So this idea of being able to manage or master the law of cause and effect and live our days in a way that serves us well for all the years to come is, I would argue, a central life strategy. It's a very important skill to master. So let's start with that, Z. Talk to us. Give us your interpretation of the year-long day and how we should just think about managing each of the moments and decisions in our lives. Yeah, Vin, when I... When I listen to you, you know, we, we always feed off each other really well. And in our work and the being an opt out, this whole media project we're doing, the Dispassion Observer, all of these narratives that we give thrust to, it's about mitigating suffering. And I share with you from experiences I've shared with others or I've had directly. And I look at the classical philosophies when they talk about karma, the laws of consequence and action. It's really simple. It's not like I do this and do that, or people say instant karma or whatever. Karma is a, a continuum. It is neither spontaneous. It is not um, revengeful. It is like some of the other scriptures say, you reap what you sow. And it made that sowing of what you reap may not be instantly, but it is, it is cumulative. 
And so we talk about karma in terms of physics. And time, again, is that relative measure of mass. What is a second? What is a day? A second can be your whole life. One second. That's your whole life. In one of the great writings, it says that a newborn baby and Methuselah both had a long life. A stillborn baby and Methuselah. And they see even more so the stillborn baby lived as long as Methuselah because as long as the mother and her memory of that child went on, she will share that with others. And that baby who had never lived a life will be with us forever. Again, the year's long day. And I hope you get where I'm going with this. So I've been in situations that one act, one decision will follow you, haunt you, forever and ever and ever. Or it can elevate you for years to come. I told you the story of a friend of mine when we were young college kids. He decided to try acid for the first time in order to fit in with a group of people we were involved with uh, in, in some political activism on campus. And I've always been a, a very stodgy when it comes to substance abuse, things like that. I've never been a fan of that. And I'll tell you why in, in, in a moment. But he took acid and he never came back. He went from being a uh, architect student 4.0 with scholarships to many colleges to um, competing with rats for food scraps and garbage cans in our city. And he's still there. That one little decision has lasted him well over 40 years now. One of the reasons that you know I don't indulge in drugs and drinking and that sort of thing is a very um, deep story for me. When I was younger, I had an uncle uh, who was a great athlete and scholar as a young man. He was one of the first African guys to be selected to play Major League Baseball. And, um, and when he um, got his uh, opportunity to play Major League Baseball, at the time, this is the mid-60s, they gave him a, uh, a six-digit bonus, which was basically unheard of. Nobody ever seen that kind of money. We're talking about in the mid '60s, where you could get a nice house for thirty or forty thousand dollars. So for him to have a few hundred thousand dollars available to him, it, it changed the lives of a number of people. So he decided to marry his high school sweetheart, and they got married. And he he planned a, a life. He was going to go to the majors, he was going to play baseball for a while, and they were going to start businesses and raise a family. His father-in-law said to him, you're a man now. You need to drink like a man. He took my uncle out for drinks one night. My uncle never stopped drinking that night, the next night, the weeks, the months afterwards. He became a, a dysfunctional alcoholic and 
20 years later, he died of cirrhosis of the liver, sitting on my grandmother's toilet with nothing, no personal possessions. That left a mark on me as a child that I saw this really beautiful, strong person succumb to alcohol. And I decided then whatever's in that bottle, whatever's in that peel, whatever's in that needle, if it could beat him, I'm not going to take the risk. I'm not even going to take a chance. I know it affects other people other ways, um, but that's how it affected me. That's what it did to me. That one decision lasted him forever. His daughters have grown up never really knowing their father. They are now women in their 60s, and they still ask, what was my dad like? I have kind of vague memories of him. That one decision, that one minute, that one drink. My brother was taken from me by a drunk driver who decided to have a few extra beers and extra drink before he got on the road. Devastated the lives of families globally. Karma. Cause and act, consequence and action. But more so in a common way for everybody. I, I, you know, I can talk about minds, but I think when we have people in our lives that we love, it is important to be aware of an action you take that may have a cascading effect for days, months, and years to come. An untethered emotional outburst that lingers. A yell, a scream, a hissy fit of some kind. And you think what the Buddha says, imagine the people you love the most dying the most horrific death. What would be the last thing as you're memorializing that person you wish if you would have said to them? I think if we live our life every day with people, when we part company, when we greet each other, what is the last memory that I am creating right now? I'm not sure if that's hard to do. I would have to talk to Jante and Caitlin and maybe yourself. When you're in an emotional space, what is the register or policing that we use? Being aware of the karma. Of course, if you have a life practice, you understand the mechanism of karma. I may not like what you said or it may have dust me off, but is it really what you said or how I felt right then? Is it what you said or was the intention behind it? Is it what you did or what you said that is adding to something that was lingering in me? Was I already angry at you? Was there unresolved something, something that wasn't said or something that was done that wasn't resolved, that now that we're here, it is overflowed and the pressure of that has made me explode and react and create this karmic phenomena that's very, uh, that's now unsustainable. That we went from loving each other one minute to hating each other forever. What, what, what was that? What is that mechanism? What is my trigger that in the road rage scenario you talked about that I want to drive up to this car and let them know 
that I hate them and I wish them death because they cut me off. And now you're involved in something that you may cause the, the loss of life of that person or yourself that will be penalized for years to come because of what? What, what happened in that moment that that second stretched out into a lifetime? What happens in us? And it's one of the things that I try to do in the environment, in our world that we've created, is that we have a certain openness and transparency a fluidity that sometimes, sometimes, though it is awkward, uncomfortable, and unconventional, unorthodox, it promotes the ebbs and flow of clear communication. John Tay has come in moody and he's had fights with Dave and I've had to get in the middle of that and resolve their bickering and fighting. And he's come back and said, you know, I'm sorry. And David said, sorry, then when you look at the source of it, it was just two egos in an untethered clash that cost way more than you could ever win. What do you win if everyone else loses? What do you win if friendship loses? What do you win if family loses? What does a couple win if one wins an argument, but you lose the whole family? What's the victory in that? We've created a world and an environment here that's very different. You know, I look at, and oftentimes I look in a way that's not at all patronizing, but I'll say the kids, I'll say the kids are here. The kids are here. When I say it, it is with grandfatherly compassion. They get me pissed off every day, and they lift my spirits every day. That is the push and pull. Every day I walk in, I tell Jante, fix the wall you broke. But every day when I see him safe and warm and I see them interacting, it lifts my spirits. I look at Caitlin. She's taken the place in a way of my daughter who I'm, I'm estranged from. Um, one incident years ago has left a scar between my daughter and I for 20 years. My firstborn and I rarely speak. Not in that there are hostilities, but there is just this lack of closeness. So a decision that she made years ago at a moment when I didn't need anything from her but compassion and love, which might be everything, that might be everything. Maybe compassion. Yeah, I guess compassion loves everything. Maybe I needed everything from her. She had none of that to offer me. And it hurt me to this day. It feels like I can feel the knife wound in my chest. But because she's my firstborn and I have parental love for her, I accept it. I endure it. I'm happy when I hear from her, but I have no expectations of us having a warm interaction, but when I see her, I'm glad. So the divine and the universe has set it up so way so Caitlin is here all the time.
and it gets me through that pain. It's the salve in my heart. The year-long day, we make a choice every minute when we deal with people. All we have at the end of this life is a record that we were loved. What would you trade for that? An outburst, a rage, something said in anger? When your loved one leaves your company and greets you, when your friends greet you, what's, what is better? What is better than love? What is the victory of losing or winning a battle when you lose everything else? What type of person would forsake the world for a petty victory? That's what you ask yourself so you can avoid the years long days. And the way you treat your health, that little decision you make to betray your health and well-being. Why not exercise the willpower you need? Exercise that willpower so it's very easy for you to adhere to the laws of karma, the laws of consequence and action. It's not hard to do. It's not an endless choking down of yourself. But it is an awakening and awareness of you. It is shedding a light on the ego. And let the ego scurry away like roaches in a dirty room with the lights turned on. Let the ego scurry away. Remember, most of the conflicts and the battles you have with people aren't worth it. As Sun Tzu in The Art of War says, it's a petty skirmish. A petty skirmish and a great battle both cost the same resources. But one gives you little back. Most of the people in your life are there because they are fond of you, they care about you, and there's some mutual benefit to interacting with them. Is it not better to nurture that benefit? And along with the idea of avoiding the years-long day is duty. People don't like that word, then, duty. It feels like you're forced to do something. But we have a duty to ourselves and a duty to each other. What is duty? It is doing your part for the sake of the whole. The mission. What is the mission? The mission is a harmonious life. As you enjoy that harmonious life, you have a duty to perpetuate that harmony. And sometime when it's your turn to sweep the floor, you're mad, or you want to sign something. No, it's your duty. If you use the bathroom, clean the bathroom. If you make trash, dump the trash. So our duty to avoid the years-long day, if we follow duty, we will not have years-long days. Our duty, be courteous to one another. Our duty is to water the garden, pull the weeds, reap the harvest, put back.
our duty is to not elevate our emotions above the intellect. And the intellect's duty is to not to deny the emotions, but to support and observe them, but not react to them. It is our duty. It's like if you want to be fit, your duty is to show up and work out. If you want to be loved, your duty is to show up and do what you do. At work, it's your duty to show up. If you follow duty, you can avoid the years-long day. You can avoid many of the conflicts that rule people's lives. The endless turmoil, the endless ignorance, the sense of betrayal, the feelings of revenge, the, the thing that destroys love and turns love into hate. Follow your duty and avoid the years-long days. I would think that Kaylin and Jante, you guys probably have examples of years-long days that you guys can think about, maybe. Jay? I can recount quite a few. Uh, the one that probably stands out the most is um, making a decision with my God brother, something that I had told a friend of mine we wouldn't do multiple times and finally agreeing and green lighting the project. And in that one decision to go up to Santa Barbara to follow through with his plan, we derailed six years of effort and work that we had put into building a record label, a production company, every dime that we had saved gone in an instant. Um, he lost a year of his life behind bars, <clears throat> got out. Both of us lost probably eight years, almost, searching for a job. Eight-year day. Just eight years. An eight-year day. From one decision. Eight-year day. One decision everything that we had been working toward in smoke. That's probably the one that hits the hardest for me. And we recount it, um, not to dwell on it, but just we think about it because it shaped so many things for us, or reshaped, I should say. Um, well, that's what we mean, the year's long day. Still going on. So it's it's something that a moment that changed my life. Um, I remember when I first got like an abnormal sign at the a year ago when I first started realizing like yeah there's something going wrong in my body uh, and I ignored it and I think about how. Had I not ignored that, I probably wouldn't have gone through um, all those cancer treatments. I probably would have been able to at least do like a leap procedure, you know, wouldn't have been as invasive. Mm -hmm. So that one's still pretty recent, but that that's... That day. That day. That day. Yeah. yeah. Through divine grace, you made it through it. 
friends and love and all the good will you've had. But we can all look at that, not with regret, but an opportunity to learn and grow. That we chose to extend that day, right in that moment. What is the emotion associated with it? Think about what Kaylin says, you know, you want to ignore or I'll get around to it. Had you got around to it that day, it would have been one day. Jay, had you just not got on the freeway. And again, I'm not saying this so we look back with regret, but for those of us who are striving to grow, to manage this crazy world, to navigate the twilight of the Kali Yug, we want our day to be a day long. Not a week long, not a month long, not years long. Right now, there are choices we make, little choices people make once you get information. You know, I've been on this thing about reading this book, Countdown, that talks about the testosterone and sperm count of Western males going way down, young women going into puberty real early, uh, cancers are popping up, geriatric diseases are showing up in people at younger and younger ages. And I was with my neighbor, and his son came up, 10-year-old, and he's been diagnosed with prediabetes and cholesterol problems. And I said, whatever you need, we can help you. But what have I learned? You can't do it for people. You can only be the depot of relief, but you can't make them go through the door. And one of the things I see is his father came to me and he said that it was a bad diagnosis. They say he's got to cut out the sugar. He's got to exercise. But what can I do? He likes sweets. And then the ice cream man came up and right while we're standing there, having just come back from the doctor, so boy, he buys the rainbowed Slurpee, gives me a guilty look and a smile, and goes and buys the rainbow Slurpee and gulps it. That one action in that one minute will affect this young man for the rest of his life. It said right there, he must stop now or there will be no return once he gets on the medication. So these decisions will last for years and years. One, it'll be an endless day. And what was the victory? What did you win? You satisfied the insatiable craving for synthetic sugar. A sensation that can't be satisfied. It can't be satisfied. Because it's not only tied to a chemical reaction in the body, but also an emotional sense of the emotional sense of accomplishment. The tricks in the chemistry, right? Also, I think about, again, just families and relationships. and What is the victory in winning an argument? The great rishis and sages tell us that 
arguments lead to no conclusion. They need, there's no winner in an argument. Healthy discourse, intelligent discussion, the surrendering of the ego is the only path through enlightenment mm -hmm. in the interactions between two. So what do you win in an argument? Nothing. Do you beat them and they beat you? You're the victor, they're the vanquished? So if that is the victory, then what about with people you care about? You beat somebody down that you care about and now there's, there's animosity, there's enmity, there's all these things between two people. You tell your roommate how you feel. I'm going to let her, I'm going to give my roommate a piece of my mind. I'm going to put them in their place. I've heard people say that. I needed to put them in their place. I'm going to go and put my husband in his place. Well, you just had a husband who's no longer close to you. I'm going to let my wife know who's boss. Really? So now you don't have a wife anymore. You got another enemy. Right? My parents suck. I'm going to let them know what horrible people they are. So you, I'm going to break my mother's heart. Ha ha! That'll teach her. Do you understand how crazy that sounds? These year-long days. Get it done, people. Let the day be the day. So, Vin, our thing is always about mitigating human suffering. I hope people think about, not just think, but feel on a sensual level as you walk through the world in a holistic way. Again, let's not see it as a chore. Duty should not be a chore. Our duty is to be mindful of how we speak, mindful of how we act, mindful of how we work, mindful of what we reap. And that doesn't, that's not hard to do if you become skillful in living that way. There is no victory in the defeat of a loved one or companion or friend. There is no victory in that. And especially when it comes to yourself, there is no victory in denying the needs of yourself as it pertains to your health, your general well-being, both mental, physical, and spiritual. Can you say to the people around you what you know about yourself and separate what you like from what you need. Sometimes Caitlin will yell at everybody, say, I need you to get away from the desk so I can do the work. Everybody bitches and moans, but you know what? They get away from the desk. I think eventually. I don't, but yeah. John T and them do. And I think that's a good thing to have a relationship where you say, I need space. I need space. And what's even better is when you give her space. Ask the people in your life, what do you want and what do you need from me? But also when you ask that question or they answer that question, it should have a limit to it. Don't keep asking for more. That's why healthy boundaries are important. When you shut down, you shut down. When you're present, you're present. Don't keep compounding and compounding issues. 
the year-long the, the, the year days can start as simple as there's a, there's a problem and you add a problem to the problem. What if there's a problem and you mitigate the problem? What if you mitigate it? Sounds That's like right. saying, you know what? I got a problem. My, 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 my tires are bald on my car, so I'll just put a spare on one wheel. Now on the tires, but you see that that you just added a problem to the problem. Remember Caitlin when you needed tires on your car? <laughs> yeah. Remember that? Yeah, what did we do? We took it down to your shop and they changed it like all the tires. All of them. So we didn't just get one tire that was flat and fix it. Okay. So I would like us to consider how to avoid the year-long days. Healthy boundaries. End your day complete, not wondering what more to do, what needs to be done. When you finish your job, finish your job. That's what the Tao says. Leave nothing undone so there's nothing to do. Understand there is no victory in winning an argument. There is no victory in defeating a friend. It only serves the ego, and the ego is ravenous, and it is insatiable. Humility, listen. Do not shirk your duty. And even more so, approach your duty joyfully, if not in a mundane way. When I say joyfully or in a mundane way, you know, dealing with kids isn't always happy, happy, joy, joy. But it's always good. Think about the, the children always give you love. You know, I have older children, two little ones, grandkids. And you do the deal. You change the diaper. You wipe up the slobber. You walk them around the park. Good day, bad day, fun day, none day, high, low. And they let you know. They usually end the day like, this was a great day. And all you did was your duty. It's the days you don't perform the duty that there are problems that will last for the rest of their lives. Think about the traumas of childhood. The parents, the adults shirking their duty. Think about each of us. What can we do to nurture and so that we do leave nothing undone, so there's nothing to do. You follow me, Vin? Yes, yeah, the, the hearing you talk about this, it's interesting the way you're framing the year-long day and how simple problems, if you attend them, like pulling weeds out of a garden, you don't have to worry about it. You can move on to the next day, the next issue. Whereas if we don't do our duty, if we overreact to certain situations, we just create more problems. And then there's escalation. And escalation becomes the worst of it. If you get into arguments with people that you care about, and as you say, you're driven by ego, you're driven by the need to prove you're right, there's no limit to what you're going to do. You can destroy each other. I've seen this happen in relationships. I've seen it happen in divorce proceedings where... There's no sense for what's happening to the children. The children are ending up with 
psychiatric problems because there's so much acrimony between the parents. No one's left with any money except for the lawyers. It drains six or seven years of someone's life. All because you can't back down. You can't separate yourself from the situation. And think intelligently about how to just act and put this problem to bed. So you can move on. This concept of duty, you talked about it quite a bit, makes all the sense in the world to me. And that example that you gave of your neighbor, that's spot on. When I think about children, your duty isn't to be their best friend. It's not to appease every desire that they have. I think about my own kids, it's kind of funny because uh, we've got three and the youngest is two years old. And sometimes the older one will interact with the youngest one. And the youngest one is basically a mercenary. I mean, she just screams and cries until she gets what she wants. <laughs> and I watch our oldest interact with her. And our oldest is seven years old. She gets to a point where she doesn't know what to do. So she's like, oh, okay, you're not happy? Here, watch some TV. Here, have some more candy. Here, you can have the toy. You can have whatever you want. And it's great for her. And she feels like, okay, now my sister is bonded to me and I don't have to deal with this crying anymore. But that's not duty. I look at it from my standpoint and it's kind of funny. It's like, this is what you think parenting is. Uh, no, it's about instilling a certain amount of discipline, creating those boundaries so that we don't have these issues later in life and your children don't grow up to be unhealthy or entitled or in constant need of validation, but that requires some discipline. It requires some tough choices along, along the way. So duty is paramount. There are two other words that you use, Z, which I want to explore a little bit, which are compassion and consequences. So we've been talking about how it's easy to get into certain emotional states where you're not in your right frame of mind. And if you were to watch yourself later on, I mean, let's say that someone took a continuous movie of your life and you were to step back and you were in a calm state of mind and you were to watch yourself go through some emotional outburst. It's almost like you're cringing. You know, you're watching a movie and you're saying, no, don't do that. Don't say that. Oh, God, it's so horrible. I can't bear to watch it because it's a train wreck in real time. But we do that because we don't have that dispassionate perspective. We're too emotionally invested in the situation. So if we can cultivate a sense of what the consequences are and a more global perspective, we can get out of that immediate need to satisfy the ego or unleash whatever emotional storm is ripping through us and take a broader perspective and ask, what is the likely outcome of this? Would we really scream at our children for drawing on a table if we know it's going to lead to a pattern later in life where they feel abused, uh, they feel traumatized? Is that a trade-off that we really want to make? Uh, the drug example that you mentioned, the drinking example, Jante's example, would we make these decisions if we really considered the consequences? Sometimes we might, as we talked about earlier Life isn't about taking no risk. It's about managing risk. So maybe we do things, maybe certain things don't work out. But there's a lot that we could do if we have that broader perspective to control the risk, limit the downside, and end this cycle of continuous problems that plagues us 
over time instead of just being able to put something to bed. That sense of consequences is important. The compassion to me is also very important. And that goes back to Buddhist philosophy. The idea that if we can understand other people's motivations, what's driving them, suddenly the situation isn't that bad. And we do it with kids all the time. I mean, we give them so much runway and so much benefit of the doubt. If they're screaming or crying or they say, oh my God, I hate you. I want you to die. My kids say that to me all the time. Maybe I should take it more seriously. Uh, Maybe (laughs) this will come to haunt me at some point. Uh, But yeah, yeah. I mean, when I've got a knife in the back from my 14-year-old, but whatever, that's a separate discussion. You guys can do the post-mortem podcast on that. <laughs> but in any event, when I hear these things, it's like, okay, it's my kids. I know that they're not serious. I know they're just not getting what they want. Whereas if someone else were to say that, it's a lot more hostile. And there are good reasons for that. Not everyone has a mentality of a 7- or 8-year-old. Not everyone is your child. We have certain expectations of how people are supposed to act. But if we do have that compassion and we can understand what's driving someone, whether they're feeling afraid, they're feeling insecure, they've just had a bad day, there's a lot that they're dealing with, suddenly the situation doesn't seem as serious and it doesn't seem as important for us to beat them down and put them in their place because we know they're already suffering. Why do we need to make them suffer more? I mean, they're acting out because they're acting from a point of pain. So having that compassion reframes the situation, gives us a new perspective maybe a way to maintain some of that awareness so we can make better decisions. So all of that resonates quite a bit, Z. What I want to ask you is operationally, how do we do this? And we've talked about this in the past. We've also just been talking today about some techniques like duty, remembering your duty and using that as a way to to make better decisions. But if we have constant awareness Walk us through the effort of doing this, uh, because for people who maybe haven't been following along our philosophy and our discussions uh, for that long, maybe new people in the audience, you might hear this and say, I make literally millions of decisions a day or potential decisions. There's so many thoughts spinning through my mind. How can I be aware of every single thing that I'm going to do or I'm going to say? Does that put me in hyper analysis mode? Am I always thinking and planning and plotting that just seems like so much effort. Isn't that going to drain me? Isn't that going to slow me down? How is it really possible to go through life and maintain that constant awareness of this is what might happen and that calculus of if I do X, Y will happen. Uh, If I do A, B will happen. You know, it's almost like walking around and running a complex set of computer calculations, or at least it can feel that way. Uh, for some people. So help us think through that. What does it really mean to be in that constant state of awareness? Vin, it's not as hard as people think. Um, I would say that, are there examples of this? Yeah. I remember going to Japan and a few things you notice if you were to go to Japan, let's say the 80s, is it was very clean. Streets are very clean. Uh, very congested, but there's no traffic jam. Everyone bowed, and if they were in your way, they would had to get around you. Even when they gave you the right of way, they would say, Say my sin, say my sin, excuse me, excuse me. So for them, 
It's a way of life, the Buddha consciousness, that underlying intelligence. What does that do? It allows, and it allowed that society to build itself from the devastations of World War II to one of the leading superpowers on earth in one generation, from complete apocalyptic devastation to being a leading superpower in the world in one generation because they were polite, because they had Buddha consciousness. I'm not saying that to say that they are superior to anybody, don't have problems, but there are problems they don't have that make life hard for most of us every day. They have reverence. They were always willing to defer themselves for just a moment to let somebody buy. Remember one of my students telling me that they went to Japan and they were they were perplexed. A lot of people told me this, that at a stoplight, no one would run across the street. And he didn't get it. He said, wow, these people are crazy. There's no cars coming, just go. And I thought about the lesson that was shared with me when I was in Japan. And they said, doing the right thing isn't something you do in the presence of other people. Doing the right by your country, yourself, your community, your family, should be in you, is, is something that's in your heart all the time. I said, wow. Promoting the flow of human decency, the idea what is in your heart, and you understand the connection each of us has to each other, the habits that we build. That's why I say it's often hard to talk about to people about duty the duty of a child to their parent. It's not just the love of your parents, but damn it, they didn't sell your kidneys to the highest bidder. You know, they fed you, they, they wiped your ass. Have gratitude. That's hard to do. You ever tried to deal with kids? Like you're saying, it's hard to do, but you do it out of love, duty, duty and love. And they don't owe you anything. If, they, if they're good to you, that's because it's good for them. It perpetuates a certain karmic momentum. What is the harm of being kind or courteous? It takes so much energy to be angry and filled with hate, carry vengeance, look for an enemy, play victim. All this stuff, it takes a tremendous amount of energy. How if you just greet somebody? How's it going? Wish you good. I always tell people, I have my classic saying to people, whenever I finish a letter, I usually finish it with the word peace. People think that's weird, but that's what I want for everybody, is peace. I also usually, when people see me, say, how's it going? I say, another day in paradise. It might be the shittiest day in the world, but you know what? I'm in paradise because I have people that love me, and I have friends and family and I've been through a lot and I'm, I'm on this journey. I'm still on this spaceship with you. So it's a great day, another day in paradise for me. It's not hard to do. Anything you do a lot, the drill of compassion, the drill of courtesy, the drill of enlightenment, it becomes very easy to do. The challenge is 
The ego will undermine anything. It'll make you want to grandize your issues. Whatever you're going through, somebody has been through it, is going through it, has got through it, or, or, or has died because of it. Realize every day that you're not that special. As we always say, 8 billion people, 10 different stories. It's very humbling. Now you can go to work. You can do what you need to do. You can sort out your business. And you can do that with a free heart. So intelligence is always our guide. Steady intelligence is the greatest companion you can have. When people have those days that last years, it was when ignorance was your companion. Ignorance, the willful turning away of light and knowledge. To turn away from a guiding light, that is ignorance. Don't follow the path of the ignorant and you will be able to avoid the years long days. We think about that in that way so that we don't look at this as hard to do, it's so hard to do. All of Japanese society has been able to achieve a certain level of harmony that is admired around the world. There are other cultures around the world that the burden of courtesy, compassion, consideration, the understanding of mutual benefit uh, that, that each human offers one another is something that can be nurtured, that promotes general harmony, that's simply easier to live that way. You're not at somebody's throat, they're not at yours. I always talk about the things that I'm interested in, you know, automotive things, engineering things. And they've done research on the highways, and I've talked about this before. That when Eisenhower built the highways in America, they were defense highways. And they were designed during the Cold War so you could move the military freely to and fro across the country, following um, a northern and southern route, an east and west route, so forth. And as the freeways built and various metropolitan areas began to develop around them, these interstate highways and intercontinental highways were designed to carry a, a tremendous amount of commerce and traffic. And over the years that they surveyed, they said, should we build more roads? You see a city like LA, traffic jam. You go to a great metropolitan area, traffic jam. We need more room, we need more highways, we need it spread out. What'd they find? It wasn't that you needed more highways, it was just basic ideas of courtesy and right of way were not being adhered to. And because of that, it created congestion, delayed commerce, simply because the average person isn't polite. We noticed during the pandemic, did you know car deaths went up during the pandemic? Yeah. When there was no one on the freeway, more people died yeah. because cars were going faster yeah. and still not adhering to basic courtesies on the road. Someone would pull out doing 50 in front of a car doing 100. People were uh, trying to beat what they call the green wave when every light on the street turns green at the same time. So they were racing to catch the green wave to try to stay ahead of the red lights. Yeah, ridiculous. So see, this is just nonsense. This is just, and, and again, the consequence of that now you're either dead, paralyzed, jailed for vehicular manslaughter because you didn't, you weren't courteous. 
So that one day, you just wanted to go to the Quickie Mart, or you just wanted to go to Sloppy Burger or whatever you go. And instead of being a Sloppy Burger, now you're sharing lunch with Bobo on Cell Block D. Okay, and now you're the Sloppy Burger. So these, what I say is, compassion isn't hard. Intelligence isn't difficult. Consideration, observation, it's not taxing. The opposite is. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, Z, I'm thinking about my own experience. And it's interesting because at the beginning, maybe it is a little bit unfamiliar and just paying attention to things that you normally don't pay attention to takes some getting used to. You get to a point, though, very quickly where it's so obvious how beneficial this is. It saves you from just so much headache. I think about my interpersonal relationships and the amount of time that I've wasted in the past with things that I've said, arguments that I get into that just lead nowhere. It's just such a such an incredible drain. And if you have the perspective to be able to cut that out, it's so freeing. It's like, oh my God, I've suddenly got so much time back. I've got so much energy. I'm more excited to see the people around me because I'm not dreading the interactions or feel like I'm weighed down by whatever emotional baggage we're carrying around. And that's just one example. So I agree, Z, that it is a lifestyle. It's a mindset. It's something that maybe requires a shift, but it's not that hard to do. And once you start doing it, it turns into a virtuous cycle. It feeds on itself. You start looking out for opportunities where you can be more intelligent, where you can have that dispassionate perspective. Maybe there's some things that aren't working out in your life and you can step back and say, okay, let me diagnose what the behaviors are. Let me figure out what I'm doing wrong so I can evolve and I can make better decisions going forward. So just a little something from my own journey, but I agree with you. We can certainly cultivate that mindset and it becomes very satisfying to do so. It's almost like once you start doing that, there's no way you can even imagine walking through life without that consideration. And again, Vin, let's kind of wrap this up. And I would say, follow the Buddha. If you knew that you or your loved ones would die today of the most horrific death, what would be the last thing you want them to know? And live every minute of your life like that, every second of your life like that. It's not hard to do. I challenge everyone who listens to this, who hangs out with us, to look to your left or right or in front of you at the people that are around you, the people that you, or you close your eyes and think of the people that are dear to you. And what is the last experience you would like to remember? What would open up that book of memories for you? Did you tell them that you loved them and did you show it? Did you let them know they were valuable and meaningful to you? I've learned that from horrific hardship. That is why the experiences I've had over the last few weeks with families and things who don't understand this hurts me so much. It's actually very traumatizing that people don't understand. I know what it's like to get the call at wee hours of the morning or to say goodbye for the last time, even though you had planned a day before to do many things for those plans never to come into fruition. I know what that's like. I know that intimately. 
And I appeal to everyone to let your minute be a minute, let your hour be an hour, let your day be a day, let your years be years. Don't make the day a year. So if you have something to do, something to say, don't plan for next summer. Don't plan you'll get around to it later. I can't wait into a few years. Everything, we're going to do all these amazing things. Do amazing things today. Water the garden today. I have Jante and Caitlin sitting here and you on the phone and you and I have a wonderful relationship. And um, if I knew that today was my last day, I want you to know that I love you. And you're like a son to me. And John Tay, he's my grandson, and I love him. And Caitlin is a manifestation of my daughter, and I love her. And I'm glad they're here. Though you all irritate the shit out of me. And sometimes I want to snap your necks. I love you. You got me, Ben? Yeah, that's why I don't come around too often. I feel better at a distance. But, yeah... Yeah, anyway, it's a good point uh, to wrap up. Uh, look, Z, that challenge you laid down, I love that challenge. I would encourage our audience to take the challenge, walk through life with a little more awareness, a little more thought about what decisions you want to make. See what happens and let us know. Give us some feedback. Uh, if you find that it leads to unexpected results or, or some good benefits, uh, we want to hear from you. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.